this morning, I want to talk to you because we, we make assumptions. And as missionaries, we make assumptions a lot. Somebody living in another culture, I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip and made this mistake. Oh, I, I can probably drink the water. I don't know if you've... People have been asking me why I'm so skinny since the last time they saw me. It's the water. It has to be. Another one would be, oh, I, I can speak Spanish after a year of language school. That's, I can do that. Not that easy. Not that easy. Some of you, when you came in and sat down in church, you're like, man, this chair will probably hold me up. And I'm very thankful that was not a false assumption. Right? My alarm will go off. We say that at night. And mine did not go off this morning. But I still made it just in time for the 8 o'clock service. Wade was very nervous. <laughs> very when we're in high school, we say, these friends I have will be my friends forever. Right? That's a false assumption. And Joey, probably 15 years ago, thought, man, this luscious head of hair will be here for the rest of my life. False assumption. I want to talk to you this morning about the dangers of false assumptions. And really, the dangers of false assumptions when it comes to what we believe about Jesus. When it comes to what we believe about Jesus. You know... The story this morning will be Peter and his denial of Jesus, which is found in all four Gospels, actually. And so I'm not going to take you to a specific passage and read through it with you. I'm going to kind of jump around a bit. So if you don't mind listening or going to the end of one of the Gospels and trying to follow along, whatever you prefer. So beginning, I'll begin in Matthew 26. And when they had sung a hymn, that being Jesus and his disciples after the Last Supper, right? They went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So here we have the situation where Jesus is telling them, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to fall away. And they said, no, Lord, we're never going to deny you. Now, most of you have heard the story, so there's no suspense here. But you know what happened. So let's skip on ahead. And they led Jesus to the high priest, those being those who arrested him, right? And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And he broke down and wept. Wow. So that's the basis this morning for the sermon. And, and I want to ask you, why, why did Peter deny Jesus? Why? One option, one guess would be, if we're sitting here just, just guessing, uh, he was scared of persecution. That was, that's, that's a logical guess, right? Some of you maybe think, yeah, that, that sounds good to me. He was scared of persecution. Jesus was on trial. All the disciples had been scattered. 
Nobody was there really with him supporting him, right? Maybe he was scared. The second option, which you may find humorous, maybe he was too comfortable by the fire. Mark chapter 14 says, And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So do you think that's it? Maybe he was too comfortable by the fire. This means yes. This means Okay. Everybody awake this morning? Amen? 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 Where's Bill Kaysen? He said he was going to amen for me. All right. He's not here, I guess. Maybe that's it. But let's look at one more passage of Scripture, which I feel like reveals the answer in the basis of what we're looking at. Matthew 26, starting in verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, being Judas, had given them a sign saying, the, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those, being Peter, who was with Jesus, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? Okay. Here's my guess. Here's my guess, okay? What got Peter in trouble? Maybe he was scared of persecution. That, surely that was part of it. Maybe he was comfortable by the fire. But he had made a false assumption about Jesus, about who Jesus was. Friends, can I tell you today that the most important decision you can make or the most important belief you can have, however you want to say it, is who is Jesus? The most important question you can answer in your life. In our ministry experience in Baba Oyo, Ecuador, being on the coast, the Catholic presence is somewhat, somewhat there, more in the mountains. Uh, where we live, it's actually Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. I'm telling you, there's not a week, definitely not two weeks that go by that a Jehovah's Witness... Is not knocking at our door. I had one guy ask me. His name was Clever. I don't, I don't know. It was, he wasn't clever, but clever. I don't, I don't know. He asked me, Sir, have you ever thought to yourself, why did Jesus come into the world? And I said, yes, sir, I have. Let me tell you about it. And I told him, Genesis to Jesus. And he said, you have studied the Bible, haven't you? <laughs> he doesn't talk to me that much anymore when I see him. But see, the mistake that Jehovah's Witnesses make is they, they don't believe Jesus was God. That's one of the many mistakes that Jehovah's Witnesses make. They don't believe Jesus was God. That's a pretty big mistake to make, right? And the Mormons there, I mean, they believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers at one point. They also have it wrong about who Jesus was. The most important belief you can have and its application in your life, who is Jesus Today, some think Jesus was a good man with good teaching. You hear that a lot in common culture, right? And then in the New Testament, if you read the Gospels, people call him rabbi, teacher. Some thought he was a blasphemer because he said he was God. Many different ideas about Jesus. Here's Peter. He thought Jesus, obviously, must have been reading, leading a rebellion to free the Jews from the evil Romans. Prison or death, Peter said, right? Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Lord. All the disciples said the same. 
So let's talk about the dangers of false assumptions and how we, too, deny Jesus. I think the first thing that happens, the first step in the process of coming to the point where we have the false assumption is we have our own ideas about who Jesus is, right? Don't we all have our own ideas about, about who Jesus is, why he came? Maybe some of them are based in church. Maybe it's culture. Judging by Peter's response, he must have thought he was going to fight alongside Jesus in some sort of rebellion until the end. But isn't that just like us? Jesus tells us something, and we hear something else. Jesus tells us something, we, we believe something else that fits our culture and fits our nice life and our context. One example in Baba Oye would be prosperity gospel. You see that some, and a, a lot on TV here, right? Prosperity gospel. The average wage where we live is $10 a day, Okay? People were very, very poor. Yet the biggest church in Babaoyo is a prosperity gospel church. Pretty fascinating, huh? Huge. And people are going there. And, they, and they, they, live, they don't live check to check. They live day to day, moment to moment, trying to have enough money. Yet they're giving, thinking, if I just give enough, God's going to bless me. God's going to give me a lot of money. I'm going to be rich. Okay? That's a false assumption. The Bible does not promise us that, does it? Certainly, many of you, many of us are blessed, and God has chosen to bless us, but he is under no obligation to bless us financially, right? Another one would be liberation theology, and you might not know as much about this one, but it's really South American, and it's prevalent in some churches here in America, where the idea, if we have Jesus, he's going to free us from our socioeconomic situation. If we're slaves, he's going to free us from that. If we're poor, he's going to free us from that. that. That the freedom that Jesus offers is this like worldly type of freedom. But guess what? That's a false assumption. It's not in the Bible. See, having false assumptions about Jesus is essentially making an idol in the image that you prefer to worship. And you're denying Jesus. Can I warn you today? Be careful that you aren't making any false assumptions about what your Christian life is going to be like. Can I urge you to seek Jesus and his guidance and direction for your life? Because here's the danger of having, having your, your own ideas. It leads us to, for us to want to do it our own way, right? We have our own ideas about what it's going to be like. And as soon as things start to turn, I think I'm going to go do this my way. And here's the example. Well, here, I mean, in, in the American context, maybe for you it's a Sunday school class. Maybe it's a vacation Bible school. You had your own ideas about how it was going to be. Maybe it's choir. I would be in choir, but it's just not how I thought it would be. Am I wrong? A children's ministry event? We have our own ideas about what the Christian life and Christian ministry is going to be like. And when it doesn't go our way, what do we do? We walk out. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I got a really nice email probably two months into being in Costa Rica. So we've been gone for America two months. We're still struggling with culture, which we still struggle with culture, but it was even worse then, right? And we get an email really nice from a member of the church that said, John and Emily and Samantha, I just want to, just send you this email and encourage you and thank you for taking up your cross and moving and becoming a missionary. And that was a nice email. But I had two thoughts when I got the email. One was, man, they think a lot 
more highly of me than I do because it's still a struggle for me to take up my cross. It doesn't matter where you live. You can get on a plane, buckle your seatbelt, and land and get off the plane and you're still going to struggle with denying yourself every day. It doesn't matter where you live, missionary or not. The second thought I had was, it's kind of an interesting American thing that we do with, with Luke chapter 9. This is what we do. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Anybody. Doesn't, but here's what we say. If anyone wants to be a missionary, that's who really takes up their cross. The missionaries, that's, what, that's who Jesus is talking to. Or if anybody wants to be in ministry, man, Brother Wade, you know, he's the one taking up his cross. Is that what Jesus said? No. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Complete surrender on a daily basis from every one of you that claim to be a disciple of Christ. That's what Jesus said. But we make the false assumption and say, that's for missionaries. That's for Brother Wade. That's for ministry people. And it's a false assumption. Just because you're a missionary doesn't mean you can't deny Jesus. Just because you have grown up in church doesn't mean that you don't have the wrong ideas about Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus for years. Still missed it. He got part of it. And there's a Holy Spirit issue and a lot of revelation that he didn't have that we have, right? But the principles are the same. We can be around church and around Christianity for years and still miss it. If you haven't taken up your cross today and denied yourself today, you are denying Jesus. Had a chance to go on a really neat vacation with Emily's dad in March of last year when we were in Costa Rica. And we lived in the city of Costa Rica. Not what you see on uh, San Jose in Costa Rica is the capital city. Not what you really see on postcards. Nobody sends you a postcard of San Jose, I promise. And, but, you know, a lot of you maybe have seen the ads on the internet for, like, go to the beach, the wonderful beaches of Costa Rica. They're great. They're wonderful. And Emily's dad took us there when he came to visit. It was awesome. There was, like, a playground, and it was from Georgia. It had a little town. I was like, wow, it's like being in America. It was great. Some of you can't appreciate that, but it was just great to touch something from America, you know. And I was looking around, and Sammy was in the swing. She was probably seven months old, so she wasn't climbing yet. And there was a steering wheel mounted on the playset. You ever seen that? Like at McDonald's or... This means yes. This means yeah. Okay, good. Am I speaking in English? Y'all speak English? Okay. I don't know. Okay. So you see, you've seen the steering wheel that's mounted on the playset, and I'm like, what is that for? What? Have you ever wondered that? Like the kids just stand there like, look at me, Mom. Look at me, Dad. You know? They're not even attached to anything. You... Anyway. But our life is the same way, isn't it? We, we have our own ideas about how it's going to be. We're having the time of our lives. And as soon as it doesn't go the way that we want it to go, we hop back up on the playset and we grab the steering wheel and it's not attached to anything, but man, we're the king of the world. We're the king of our world. Right? But then we're going to crash it because we really don't have any control. As soon as they quit going our way, as soon as it's not what we thought it was going to be, we want to jump back on the ship, take the wheel, and do it our own way. It's just so fun to grab the wheel, even though we end up crashing our lives. This can happen in ministry. I have said this, I don't know how many times over the past year and a half, Lord, this is not the way I thought it was going to be. It's not what I thought ministry was going to be like. Maybe you've said that. Lord, this isn't how I thought ministry would be. Lord, this isn't, this isn't how I thought 
a Christian marriage would be. Have you said that one? The disciples, when Jesus confronted them with the reality that they were going to deny him that night, what did they say? In arrogance, in pride, no, Lord, we're not going to deny you. We'll be right there fighting with you until the end. That arrogance, that pride that we know what we're talking about, we know what we're doing, we're in control, and we ended up blowing it. Are we humble enough? Are you humble enough to realize that even though it's not going your way, and even though it's not what you thought it was going to be, are you humble enough to say, yes, Lord, you can have the will? It takes a lot of humility to do that. Because if we don't, the reaction we have is that we'd rather be comfortable by the fire. Let's look at Peter. In Luke twenty-two fifty-four. it says, Then they seized him and led him away, talking about Jesus, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Which I think is a neat spiritual example here. Jesus is there. He's on, you know, he's on trial. He's being led away. And Peter can say, Jesus, I was there. Pretty close. I was, I was pretty close to there. I was following you, sort of, from a distance. And I think that our spiritual lives are the same way. We see what's going on. We see the persecution. We see the hardship. Lord, I could see it from where I was standing. I'm there. I'm following you. I don't want to get too close because if I get too close, you might ask me to do something. Teach a Sunday school class. Go on a mission trip. Be a missionary. And I don't want to do that. That's too close. Peter was sitting there with the guards warming himself by the fire. Must have been a nice cold night, right? The man who Jesus chose to be his rock was out there just warming himself by the fire because it was cold. And let me tell you today, we can't give up on Jesus' plan because it gets uncomfortable and it gets cold. There'll be times when our spiritual lives have frozen over, and I've felt that in the last year and a half. Some of you may think that, that missionaries have coffee with Jesus every morning. And, and I'm convinced some of them do, but I'm not one of those missionaries. I try, but I, I felt it. The spiritual life has just been frozen. God, where are you? There's going to be times when it's uncomfortable, right? We have to push through. We can't just go stand by the fire and leave the work of Christ completely undone. The temptation for missionaries. In language school, we were with many missionaries that are going all over the world. And Facebook is just like torture for us. I don't even know why I get on there sometimes. It's just like, man... Your picture of your Chick-fil-A sandwich that you put on Facebook. Man, Brother Don Sipper puts all the picture, all the food he cooks on there. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. And it's just like, man, if we were in America, I could, I could go see my family. I could see my mom and my dad. And we've been with them the last two days, and it's been unbelievable. I could be with friends. Right? I could go to Chick-fil-A. Yes, I still haven't been there yet, by the way. I've got to go. But the, te- the temptation is, all this stuff, whatever that comfort is for you, whatever God is calling you to do that you're not doing because you would rather be comfortable, you don't want to give that much. You don't want to have to volunteer in the nursery. You don't want to spend three services here on Sunday. You don't want to have to make that sacrifice or miss that gain or whatever it means to you, whatever God is calling you to do in your context. You're choosing that comfort you're sitting by the fire, because it's, it's nice there. You can see Jesus from afar on Sundays for an hour, and that's good enough. See, we, we start to think that way, and it makes more sense to stand by the fire instead of in the fire. 
And that's the temptation that we have. You see, we see that Peter had his own ideas about Jesus. He wanted to do it his own way. He preferred to be comfortable. And lastly, he, he was scared of persecution. I do think he was. The same Peter that said he would fight with Jesus to the end is the same Peter that sat there denying him, Jesus, denying he even knew the man. If you look, and you don't have to, I'm going to read it to you, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he, again, he denied it with an oath this time, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too were one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And what did he do after that? Do you remember? He wept. Bitterly, the Bible says. So imagine the situation with Peter. You've walked with Jesus for years. You thought you had this thing figured out. You thought you knew how it was going to be. You and your buddy Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God who had come, was going to be there serving as an earthly king. You had it figured out. And you're wrong. And he weeps bitterly for denying Jesus. You see, here's the issue. He was acting just like a faithful servant of an earthly king would act, right? They come to take him. He pulls his sword, gets into action. But he wasn't serving an earthly king. You see, in the midst of having his own ideas, he was denying Jesus. In the midst of wanting to do it his own way, he was denying Jesus. In the midst of warming himself by the fire, he was denying Jesus. In the midst of denying Jesus, he was denying Jesus. Sometimes these factors come individually in our lives, and sometimes the devil can use all of them just to lull us to sleep in our Christian lives where it just makes more sense to be comfortable than to risk persecution. But we can't stop here. We have to look at the bright side, right? Peter was restored. He repented. And he, fa he served Jesus faithfully until his death. So how can we, learning from the example of Peter, we're not immune to this. How can we avoid denying Jesus? First, and this may seem obvious to you, the first thing we have to do is read the Bible and see what Jesus said about himself. Who did Jesus say Jesus was? Don't you think that's a good idea? And if Peter, obviously he didn't have the book of John at that moment, but he there, he heard Jesus say, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I may not be handed over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Did you hear that? If my kingdom were of the world, I, my servants would fight. So what does that mean? His kingdom is not of the world. When Peter pulled his sword, what did that mean? His kingdom was of the world. So Peter didn't listen to exactly what Jesus said. For us, we have John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you believe there's any other way to get to heaven besides Jesus, you're denying Jesus. The statistic of people that are in Protestant churches that believe that 
Oh, we know that person over in India. You know, that they're serving their God. You know, God, God's going to understand. He's going to let them in. That's a false assumption. And that is wrong. And that is not what Jesus said. Right? I've been gone for, I've lost my filter. So I, I don't say things with as much buffer as maybe I would have a year and a half ago. How about this one? Luke 9, 23-26. Or just 23 maybe. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross daily. If we think we can have Jesus and all the desires of our heart and everything our own way, the way we designed it, guess what? We're denying Jesus. In Matthew 8, Jesus saw a crowd around him. He went to the other side of the lake and the teacher of the law came to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You see, if we think following Jesus guarantees a nice house in the burbs outside of Memphis, a nice job in the city, a nice church where we can come and drop our kids for two hours and have a good time, that is a false assumption. It's wrong. If you think following Jesus guarantees earthly financial success, guess what? You're denying Jesus. Paul, writing in Galatians chapter 5, he says, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So those of us, probably some of you here, I would imagine, it's very prominent where we work in Ecuador. We, were, uh, we had a, an, adult, an adult Bible study, and after we got to know the group of about 20 for six weeks, we invited them to have one-on-one time with us. So people came and sat with us. We said, hey, tell us about your life, your upbringing. And mo- the answer almost always was, I was raised Catholic. I went through confirmation. I did this, this, and this. And we'd start, hey, what, what's the Catholic Church believe? What's the Bible believe about salvation? And we got really into that, you know. And one lady looked at us in the face, no joke, and she said, I have never sinned. I've made mistakes, but I've never sinned. You know, we can laugh about that story. And, and I, I had to keep a straight face because that's ridiculous. Okay? But Paul is writing this to the Galatians because there were obviously people there who thought that they were good enough. And there are people in this room today that think, if I'm good enough, if I go to church enough, if I give enough, if my good outweighs my bad, it's all good. But Paul says, no, that's a false assumption. You are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Wake up. So if you think that you're going to earn your way to heaven, you're denying Jesus. I think another part of not only believing who Jesus was, but actually doing what Jesus told us to do. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, if we're not obeying the explicit commands of Jesus, we're denying Jesus. If we're not on mission with Christ, we're denying him. And it's fun. You know, we learn the story of, of Peter denying Jesus when we're in Sunday school and have the little felt sticky things, you know, to on the bulletin board to learn the story. And we don't think anything else about it. 
when in the reality, the way we live our life every day, our actions deny Jesus. The assumptions we make about life, our Christian life, we're denying Jesus in some aspect of our lives. And when, if we're not spending time in the Word learning what God Himself says to us about God Himself, if we're not listening to what the Holy Scripture, the inspired Word of God says about God, who are we listening to? Caleb's not going to cut it. Honestly. You can listen to it, it's great. Happy songs, positive, encouraging. <laughs> but it's not enough, okay? It's not. If you're not listening to what Jesus says about Jesus, who are you listening to? If you're not reading his word, where are you getting your ideas about what heaven's going to be like? From the world. From American culture. From the same people. Never mind, let's not, let's not go that far. From the lies of the devil. That's where you're getting your information about Jesus. If we're not listening to what Jesus says about Jesus, we're listening to what Satan says. And this is the same Lucifer, right? The same serpent in the garden who said, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, well, I don't, I don't really... Um, okay, false assumption. I'm going to eat the fruit. Right? I'm not really going to die. The last part of it, I think, not only do we need to spend time in his word and ignore popular culture and their wonderful ideas about who Jesus was, but we need to pray. What's so interesting to me about the night that the disciples fell away, and I know it was prophesied, and I know it was going to happen, but Jesus said, you're going to fall away from me. Oh, no, no, I'm not. I know more than you do. I'm not going to fall away from you. What else did Jesus say? What else did Jesus say? In Luke 22, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Isn't this amazing? And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And guess what? They didn't. And what did they do? Fall into temptation. Fall into sleep. And then, bam, they're scattered. And Peter's cutting somebody's ear off. And, man, it just all fell apart after that. Prayer is vital, expressing dependence on God, dependence on the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, using the Word of God in our lives to direct our lives, to grow closer to Him, to know the real Jesus from the Scriptures, not the Jesus that American culture tells us all about or Ecuadorian culture tells us about. If you've done it your own way, if you've had your own ideas about Jesus, if you've just spent years... Close enough to Jesus, not too close. There's good news. Just like Peter repented of his sin, he didn't make any excuses. Did he make any excuses? No, he wept bitterly. He didn't justify his disobedience. That's what I do. Oh, Lord, you know, it wasn't a good time to tell him about you, you know. It wasn't a good, you know, tomorrow, the next time I see him. If you bring him into my pathway again, Lord. You ever said that one? Lord, if you just bring him back to me. I've used that. That's a good one on the mission field. Um, I'll do it. I will, I will witness to him. We need to weep over rejecting Jesus. And Jesus restores Peter so lovingly after he was resurrected. You remember the story? They're sitting there, and he looks at Peter, and he says, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. And he's challenging him, feed my lambs, lambs, tend my sheep. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it the third time, do you love me, right? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus tells him how his life will end and tells him to follow me. And see, in the culture, Semitic culture, is that right, Wade? Semitic culture. At that time, you could, a man could say, I, I divorce you three times to his wife, and, and bam, that was it. Divorce happened. Peter says, I don't know the man you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus, and I don't know him. I'm not with him. And guess what? That's like permanent denial of who Jesus was. And then Jesus takes him to the side lovingly and restores him. And Peter served him faithfully to the death, right? And that same opportunity is there for us. Because we all make the false assumptions. We all have our own ideas. We all want to do it our way. We don't want to surrender our lives to Jesus, like he said in Luke chapter 9, that we have to deny ourselves daily, right? Jesus doesn't say, are you sorry? You, You promise you'll never do it again. Jesus asked for our heart. And with it, everything follows. Are we not like Peter? Are we not believers who are supposedly given up everything and surrendered their lives to Jesus? Are we not? If we're not careful, we can begin to have ideas about Jesus that aren't true. We start to want to do things our own way. We get comfortable. We want to climb back up and grab the place at steering wheel. We get scared of being persecuted. So let me ask you this this morning. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Seriously. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? With our youth group, we have two youth and... They're really close in age, but somehow one's the uncle and the other one's the niece. Carlos and Fatima are their names. And Carlos is a believer, but he was raised in a Catholic home. And his parents are Catholic, 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 Roman Catholic man from birth. And so Carlos was baptized as a child and everything. So after he really accepted Christ, he had a decision to make, right? Well, my parents said, I've already been baptized. My parents are not going to let me get baptized. They're going to keep me out of the house if I get baptized. Fatima recently, about two months ago, accepts Christ. And she also lives in the house. That's all she has. Her mother, I mean, she doesn't have anything. All she has is her grandparents. And they say, no, you can't get baptized. You've already been baptized. You're raised in the Catholic Church. You don't need to be baptized. Okay? So she has a choice to make. Do I have somewhere to live? Do I have food to eat? Right? Or do I get baptized? And get kicked out of the house. I'll have to let you know how it works out. But pray for her. Because that's the first step of obedience as a new believer, right? Is baptism. For most of us, we don't have to experience that kind of cost. We don't know what it's really like to have to forsake our family and and step in the direction of Christ. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means some sort of hit on your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it costs you a job or costs you finances? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? Have you thought about this? Because this is what Jesus says. 
whoever loses it for my sake, right? Whoever loses his life for my sake. I guess what I'm saying is, who do your actions say that Jesus did? Peter's actions said that Jesus was the leader of a rebellion, right? Who do you say Jesus is? Give Jesus your whole heart. Listen to his word. Pray. Avoid temptation to do it your way and to be comfortable. Let Jesus use you for his glory. You see, we all make false assumptions. False ones about Jesus are not ones we can afford to make. Amen?